Hello and welcome to another podcast from Injury Prevention, an international peer-reviewed journal published by BMJ Journal. My name is Brian Johnston, the Editor-in-Chief. In our podcasts, we focus on papers that we've published in the journal. These Editor's Choice papers are always freely available online. You can visit us at injuryprevention.bmj.com and download a copy for yourself. You can also leave comments online and link to our searchable archive and to our blog. Today, we're looking at the paper, Greening Vacant Lots to Reduce Violent Crime, a Randomized Controlled Trial. This paper appears in our June 2013 issue. And to talk about the paper, I'm joined by its senior author, Dr. Charles C. Brannis. He's professor of epidemiology and director of the Cartographic Modeling Laboratory at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Hello, Charlie. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me here today to talk about our work. I appreciate it. Great. Well, why don't you start us off by telling us why vacant lots are the target in your intervention? What do we know about the connection between vacant lots, abandoned buildings, and the risk of violent injury? Sure. Why don't I take a step back? And um, I appreciate that the article uh, published in Injury Prevention is spurring this discussion, um, but I think it's worthwhile to note that that article is um, the uh, an article at the long end of a series of different uh, bits of work that we've been doing over the years. And I guess that work started with a lot of qualitative community-based work that we'd been doing in the city of Philadelphia and also making observations in a few other cities, other legacy cities like the city of Philadelphia, post-industrial cities that have a lot of abandoned and vacant space in them. Um, and one of the things we had heard from many uh, members of the community that we had interacted with or spoken to um, was uh, that vacant and abandoned spaces in their neighborhoods were a constant, um, not just an eyesore, but something that they saw that was generating poor health and perhaps uh, a poor safety uh, for them, and something that they saw every single day when they would step out of their home to go to um, work or school. Um, and so these early discussions led us to um, a study simply a correlational study uh, looking at uh, uh, vacant properties across the city of Philadelphia and violent uh, injury. And what we found was that uh, when compared to, in this very first study, when compared to all manner of other sociodemographic indicators, that the locations of vacant properties most highly uh, correlated uh, with the locations of violent crime in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and so this really made us start to think, um, well, if, if poverty indicators, economic indicators, and other things aren't uh, outpacing the, the uh, locations of these different uh, vacant spaces, maybe uh, changing the vacant spaces themselves uh, would have an impact uh, on the reduction of, uh, of violent injury. Um, of course, that was an early correlational study, so we couldn't tell whether uh, what preceded what? Did the uh, did the violent crime and the violent injury occur, cause people to leave the neighborhood and create the vacancy, or was it that there was vacancy, uh, pre-existing vacancy, that was a, a nexus for the occurrence of violent crime? So you talked about Philadelphia being a legacy city. How prevalent are vacant lots or abandoned buildings in Philadelphia, or? In a typical urban area. Uh, well, in a typical uh, a typical urban area, it's hard to say. I mean, there, we have many, many of these. There are millions upon millions of them across the U.S. And especially with um, the economic crisis 
that's been occurring, the recession of the past uh, decade or so, these have gone up. The numbers of them have gone up. Uh, and then also in the middle of the last century, uh, flight from urban centers, particularly northeastern uh, urban centers and Rust Belt urban centers, um, have driven these up. And so, for instance, in the city of Philadelphia, when we started um, looking at this, the numbers of vacant properties uh, were in the, about 55,000 of them. Um, they are about 10,000 less at this point, to about 45,000. But that's a significant number of parcels of land that are vacant and abandoned um, and are opportunities for all manner of different problems um, that come into it. And other cities are uh, either at the level where Philadelphia is or even beyond it. Um, a city in, in just raw volume, a city like Detroit, has many more uh, open, vacant, and abandoned spaces. And maybe a city like a smaller city like Cleveland or Flint, Michigan, uh, they have fewer in volume, but as a percentage of the land in those cities, uh, it's extremely high. Uh, a larger percentage than even Philadelphia uh, or perhaps Detroit in these smaller cities. So it's a problem across many different legacy cities. So having made a connection in, uh, between vacant lots and the risk of violent crime, uh, you propose as an intervention greening these vacant lots. Can you describe what that entails? So the, the whole idea for the greening intervention came up, uh, interestingly, not in a public health meeting. I was at a meeting of the Federal Reserve Bank where um, people from the city of Philadelphia, from, from the city municipal offices, as well as from the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, which is a private organization, is the oldest horticultural society in the country, we're presenting this um, program called the Philadelphia Land Care Program, um, and they were presenting it as an economic driver. So they wanted to increase property values and the tax base for the city of Philadelphia by effectively beautifying um, spaces in Philadelphia, vacant and abandoned spaces. And as I was there presenting on something else, and I started talking to the leadership that, that was doing this, and they said, well, they thought that perhaps it was doing more than just changing the economic status of the surrounding area, um, that it might actually be reducing crime and making people healthier. Um, and so we, we took it from there uh, and began to think, well, maybe this is we can go beyond just a correlational analysis, that we can actually change something and see if you take away the abandonment, the vacancy, and the blight, um, if something will happen to crime. And what's really interesting about the the treatment of the land, so this is a this is a study of a treatment effectively, just like you would study treatment for a headache or something like that with aspirin. So this is a treatment and it's a very simple treatment. It it involves um simply removing the trash, in some cases very large pieces of trash, large dumping on the spaces, these open spaces, which are on average about a thousand square feet each. Um, removing them, grading the land so it's flat, planting some grass and only a few trees, and then putting up a fence on the land. And the fence is not uh, what you typically see in cities, so it's not this large hurricane fence with barbed wire designed to keep people out. It's simply a low uh, wooden post and rail fence 
with openings in the fence so that people can come in, can walk in and actually use the space. Um, and so the fence is not designed to keep people out. It's simply designed to show that the space is cared for uh, and that it's a protected space. And so, again, so it's a very simple um, structural change to the neighborhood. And in its simplicity, and it's, in, it's very inexpensive, it's about $1.25 a square foot to do this, uh, and maybe a nickel per year a square foot to maintain it over the course of uh, the following upcoming years. Um, so it's simple and inexpensive, which allows it to be very scalable. So that means that, uh, in fact, the city of Philadelphia, and prior to this small trial that we published in injury prevention, the city of Philadelphia had done thousands of these lots, and we had studied those as well and found a very significant shift, uh, in, particularly in gun crimes around the lots. Um, so again, it's a structural change that's very easily scalable to a large area and can be done um, for a number of different places. It seems like uh, a beneficial intervention in and of itself, but I'm interested really in, in the pragmatics of the study. I assume you can't just walk onto private property and engage in it. Yeah. Um, so what was involved in getting the authority to actually intervene at those sites? Yeah, so what was interesting in the past study I was just mentioning, we studied what the city and the Horticultural Society had already done. Um, and so moving forward with the trial that we published in injury prevention, which, by the way, is now a much larger uh, trial that's funded by the National Institutes of Health that's ongoing currently. So the, the trial published in injury prevention um, really only looked at a handful of lots, and it was effectively a pilot uh, trial for this much larger trial where we're now um, um, prospectively treating hundreds of lots uh, in the city of Philadelphia. And to be honest, I think the biggest challenge of the trial has been um, getting legal right of entry to, to perform the treatment in the lots. Um, and so you can't just appear on any space uh, in the city of Philadelphia and begin to plant grass and trees. Um, what has happened, though, is that it, it's, it's challenging to get legal right of entry, um, but it's not as challenging as you think because the process is the city has a pretty set um, ordinance in terms of when a lot is in violation. Um, and once it can be visually established by an inspector that it's in violation, um, it's determined whether it's public. So many of these lots are owned by the city, in which case the city, as our partners, will grant legal right of entry, and that's not a challenge. Um, but then if it's a privately owned lot, the, these abandoned spaces, um, the city sends a letter and attempts to call the private owner of the lot, um, and one of two things can, can typically happen there. That is that uh, typically the, if there's an owner who is responsive, oftentimes they are not near the lot or they don't e perhaps don't even live in the city of Philadelphia any longer, and they're more than happy to grant right of entry to this space to have it cleaned and greened. Um, the other alternative which happens much more is that the owner of record doesn't even exist and does not respond within the 10-day period, um, and then the city uh, goes in and just grants legal right of entry, uh, and then we can go in and green it as part of the study. So um, briefly, could you summarize what you learned in this small pilot trial? 
Well, I think the biggest thing we learned is that we could do it uh, logistically, that we could get legal right of entry for these, that um, we could uh, do analyses of uh, randomly choose in individuals in the surrounding neighborhood to interview and to talk to about their experience with the lots, both before and after the greening, and also for a control group of lots where uh, no greening was done to get the impressions of those individuals, uh, and then also to measure the the occurrence of crime uh, around the lots and to geographically assess the relationship and the proximity of the crimes to the lots. Um, so it's been very valuable in that regard, and it's also been really wonderful in terms of getting some results that, um, and it corroborates the prior much larger study that we did, the non-experimental prior study of thousands of lots, that indeed there are there are impacts that these lots have on um, the occurrence of violent crime uh, in and around the spaces, and and, and right near the spaces uh, that they abut. So I'm, I'm interested in the um, longitudinal impact of interventions like this. I know you followed uh, these lots over several months, but I imagine you would anticipate longer-term effects and um, that those would be contingent upon somebody actually maintaining these newly green yeah. properties. What do, you, what do you think is needed for a program like this to be sustainable? Well, I think one of the, again, I'll say it again, so another advantage here is that this has been designed to be sustainable. Um, because of its simplicity and its it, the inexpensive nature of the program. However, um, one of the outstanding questions that remains even after this trial that we published in injury prevention is, um, is it the greening itself or is it the fact that um, people return every two weeks to maintain the space, to pick up the trash, to mow the, tree, to mow the grass, prune the trees, et cetera? Um, and in fact, for the larger trial that's underway right now funded by the NIH, we've added a third arm, a third uh, randomized uh, allocation arm to, this, to the trial. So the one is obviously the full treatment, uh, the, the fence, the grass, the trees, et cetera, the cleaning. Uh, the second one is the same as before. It's um, not treating the space at all, just randomly choosing, and we have plenty of remaining uh, uh, vacant lots in the city of Philadelphia to randomly choose from. Um, choosing spaces for comparison. But then a third arm that we've added is one in which there is no greening, uh, but people return to the space every two weeks um, to effectively to pick up trash uh, and to just clean the space as best they can. Um, and so we're, we're sort of trying to tease out the impact there of maintenance. You know, do people returning, uh, is that really what's doing it or is it the greening? And we hope to have a, an answer on that at some point in the future. One of the things that I'm sure you've, you've thought about both in the context of your larger trial but also wearing your public health hat is scale, scalability and yeah. uh, you know, to, to take this intervention and impact public health in a meaningful way, um, you would really need to bring this to scale. As you mentioned, there are many lots and many cities that would need attention. So yeah. What are the program attri attributes that would allow you to bring this to scale and maybe disseminate beyond Philadelphia? Um. So the attributes are, again, it's simplicity, that it is something that in many cities is a, the, the vacant lots are ubiquitous spaces. Um, the protocol and the procedure itself is very standardized. The uh, Pennsylvania Horticultural Society has been doing it for over a decade now, so they um, often visit other cities um, to talk about the protocol that they have for, for this uh, vacant lot treatment. 
Um, and in fact, there are at this point dozens of cities that uh, have taken an interest in this. Uh, what's interesting about the cities that have asked about it, or in some cases have even uh, brought us out to talk about it and are beginning to implement this, um, is that the interest uh, in the program typically doesn't emerge um, in public health. The interest in the program usually emerges in city planning offices um, and uh, other licensing office offices in the city and uh, offices that concern themselves with space management for the city, for these different cities. And then public health is brought in sort of as an afterthought, uh, which is unfortunate because I think in many cases uh, we'd, we'd like to see uh, the public health departments or the local universities and schools of public health uh, taking a lead in this kind of uh, uh, place-based uh, intervention uh, for improving health. But but still, it's been very interesting, and I think the simplicity and the inexpensive nature of the um, intervention itself, of the greening intervention itself, has caused a lot of cities to take an interest, and which speaks to the scalability and then also the sustainability of this, perhaps in the future. Yeah, you know, the focus... Um, certainly in our discussion and our interest in this paper was on violence and perceptions of safety, but um, I, you've already alluded, I think, to the fact that there are many other plausible benefits from these interventions yes. that reach beyond injury prevention. I think it's a, an interesting example of cross-sectoral collaboration uh, that ends up with injury prevention as a result, but may not have been the, uh, the intended effect or the primary effect. Correct, and I'll say again, the primary effect was for economic benefit. So we do know that their property values and housing values go up when this intervention is performed. Um, we also know, as, I, as we were saying, and from the article that we're talking about today, that um, crime, particularly violent crime and gun crime, um, go down. Um, but we have, uh, in a prior study, have looked very closely at other health indicators. Uh, and two in particular came to the top, and that is that uh, one was that people were less stressed, um, the the uh, reporting stress from nearby residents went down. Um, and then we think for uh, one section of the city of Philadelphia, which we studied, um, there was a significant effect in terms of exercise. Um, so inactivity also went down, uh, at least in one section of the city, uh, before uh, after the lots were greened. Charlie, you've written elsewhere about the appeal of place-based public health interventions, and clearly greening vacant lots is a place-based intervention. Um, what can you say about the value or the appeal of this type of program in violence prevention as opposed to, say, interventions with individuals to encourage pro-social attitudes or to reduce individual risky behaviors? Well, so place-based interventions are um, a form of intervention that public health uh, really relied on perhaps a century ago. Um, and they've fallen out of favor in, in the middle of the, of the 20th century. They fell out of favor for more uh, entering, you know, focusing more on a biomedical model that uh, was more focused on lifestyle interventions and changing people's lifestyles, direct behavior change, um, as opposed to changing the context within which people find themselves, the environment around people. And I think only within the past decade, uh, for instance, the Institute of Medicine and the National Academy of Sciences have really begun to recognize that um, we can have very successful lifestyle alteration programs in public health, 
Um, but that, um, and we can show incredible, incredibly strong effect sizes for these programs. Uh, but then when these programs sometimes hit the real world, um, people remain in an environment that doesn't permit them um, to make the positive health changes that they were um, uh, trained to do effectively. Um, and so that uh, the environment is a very important and the places within which people find themselves and changing those and making those places healthy uh, is, an, is an important, if not necessary, um, component to improving health and safety. What do you see as the next steps in understanding these place-based approaches to violence prevention? Are there obvious gaps in our knowledge that injury research might address? Yeah, I think well, there 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 are gaps in knowledge, but we've made great strides. Um, I was just speaking the other day to folks about um, the the I, I think underappreciated effect that roadway changes have made on uh, in, in terms of reducing um, uh, crash deaths, motor vehicle crash deaths. So roadway changes. I was talking to people about uh, jug handles in New Jersey, uh, so that. Uh, in New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, it's very difficult to just take a left on a highway. You have to first merge or take a right and then come back across the, the lane. Um, and so that's a major shift in the roadway design itself, and that's had a great effect on um, uh, frontal impact crashes. So I, so I think we have examples of this in injury prevention, very successful examples, and uh, that have been applied to other mechanisms of injury. Motor vehicle crashes is a good example. Uh, but we need to begin thinking about um, how they might be applied to other types of injury like violence, um, particularly urban violence. And so this is why we've been pursuing um, place-based uh, changes to cities, including uh, this blight reduction strategy we're talking about today, the greening, um, as an effort to do the, the same thing that roadway engineers did. Uh, maybe 25, 30 years ago in the United States, but to cities. Okay. Well, that was uh, Professor Charlie Brandis discussing his paper in the June 2013 issue of Injury Prevention entitled Greening Vacant Lots to Reduce Violent Crime, a Randomized Controlled Trial. The paper is this month's editor's choice, and as always, it's available without access restriction at the journal's website. And that's all for this edition of our podcast. You can join us in August for highlights of the next issue, in the meantime, please be sure to visit our blog for news, opinions, comments, and discussion. You can follow the link from the journal's homepage or find us at blogs.bmj.com.